A little bouncer slowly toward Bryant. He will glove it and throw to Rizzo. It's in time. And the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. Yeah, thankfully, my cat decided to take her customary podcast dump before we started recording. So I think we're going to be okay. <laughs> I remember running home from school. Turning on the TV to the Cubs game Sitting with my dad to watch his heroes Welcome to the World Series Dream Chicago Cubs Dreamcast Now hanging out with Obstructive View We are not affiliated with the actual Chicago Cubs But just a bunch of fans who love the local nine Talking baseball, including the 2016 World Series Champion Cubs Good day, this is Ken uh, With me is Adam, who was here last night and Jeff, who wasn't, but now you're both here because this is the first time in a long time for this iteration of a podcast that we have an emergency pod, and we'll tell you why in a moment. But, you know, there's a lot of activity today because today is the official start of free agency. Looks like Skip's hanging out with us, too. Huh. You guys were here last night. Now you're here again because we have to talk about the things that have happened. Today, on November 6th of this record, that includes a managerial shift of sorts and some opt-outs to speak of. So, yeah, like, we had a plan, now we'll have a new plan. What do you guys think of that? I love this plan. I'm excited to be a part of it. Let's do it. I just got to say, I hope this doesn't go like the last uh, emergency podcast we did in the original iteration of this podcast, which is when the uh, Cubs signed Jose Quintana. And then we didn't do any more podcasts after that until you kicked us up again. So hopefully this goes better than the uh, the Quintana deal, which I will still defend. <laughs> no, I totally understand. As the spring gave away to summer, past the ivy-colored dreams, toward the days that kept us yearning for tomorrow. I guess, do you guys want to just start with the elephant in the room? Uh, Great council, right? Yeah, it was, it was, it's crazy. I mean, before even talking about whether we like the move or not, the way that it broke is a story in and of itself, or the way that it didn't break until uh, basically they were making it, it known. I mean, you can, you can trace in the comments on, our site the the breaking of the news because it was about noon when we found out that council had made a decision it was about you know 10 minutes later when we found out that uh it was not going to be the brewers or mets and that it was going to be somewhere where the manager was the the previous manager was still there and so you know my immediate reaction was uh, yeah, this could definitely be the Cubs, and we could be here t- tonight recording this podcast. And then it was less than a half hour later that it was announced that it was, in, in fact, the Cubs. Surprise, motherfucker. And there were no rumors whatsoever swirling in this regard. And so to see all that break in a half hour was nuts. I love that. I really, really appreciate how the Cubs, um, you know, the, their front office keeps things close to the vest, and um, and and they've done that on on some other signings and things too. And I, I just think that's fantastic. Some of this, let's do everything through the media, drives me kind of crazy. So I think that's great. Although to tell you the truth, I didn't find out until I don't know four o'clock or something when I was checking the email, and and Ken's like, I assume you've all seen the no- the news and i'm like what the hell is that i don't know any news what are you talking about yeah, as i say with me some co-worker who just mentioned like hey what about this cubs news i was like what cubs news <laughs> they said it and i thought they were fucking with me <laughs> yeah it was it's kind of funny because i i i don't check twitter a lot anymore and i just happened to open it up about 40 seconds after you know one of the first but I think it was Rosenthal had had leaked, you know, the fact that it wasn't going to be the Mets or whoever else it was supposed to be. Um, 
it, you know, wasn't supposed to be the Brewers. So yeah, it was, it was just so, so wild to just by chance happen to look into it. Yeah. And, and apparently the way that the story went down was that if the Cubs want, had wanted to talk to counsel before um, his contract expired at the end of October, he would have needed to get permission from the Brewers, and that didn't happen. It's all been within the last week that anything could have gone down. And we had heard plenty of talk about you know when his interviews were scheduled with, with other teams. So the fact that they managed to swing that you know, without like the winter meetings going on or anything like that, without anybody knowing, kudos to Zoom or Microsoft Teams or whoever it was <laughs> that they employed to make it happen without anybody knowing. Yeah, I was talking to Jeff before we started hitting record that uh, just Jed Hoyer is even better than Theo at keeping a secret because even with the Madden signing, you kind of heard a few things beforehand. This one, there was nothing. It, it was just like, oh, by the way, he signed with the Cubs, and you're like, what? And that that was it. So, I guess the second thing we can do is talk about the guy who got the axe, David Russ. Last night, when we started recording, and in my mind, I was like, this could potentially be completely obsolete tomorrow. But I said something to the tune of, you know, I don't think he's going to get it rent to read. Yeah, I don't think he's gonna get Renteria'd, uh, even though Craig Council is is looking for another job, uh, or at least extorting Milwaukee into paying him more. Samsonite, I was way off. <laughs> and today, well, he totally did it, and you know, it, it sounds like uh, from what Marquis and folks said that Jed Hoyer actually flew down to wherever David Ross was and told him in person. So it, this is probably like super coordinated. Like he basically put the gag order on until such time as everybody knew, and then it was out. And that that's like super rapid. It happened a lot for a bunch of things too. Like uh, the John Lester signing was just like, oh, by the way, it happened. Because under this particular uh, front office is very good at that. Yeah, on the other end, it sounds like something similar happened with uh, Council and the Brewers players, too, um, that he, he told them. Well, he, they weren't couldn't meet in person, but, you know, he, he talked to them in person. It sounded like from some stories I hear, which is pretty cool. Uh, I don't know how the time ago that necessarily worked, but none of the players leaked it. But <laughs> Yeah, the situation, it's so similar and yet quite different from uh, when Madden was hired, um, just because the first news with Madden breaking that just kind of came out of nowhere was that he was even available. That was much more sudden. That that aspect of Madden leaving the Rays was like, what? Like that weird loophole in his contract or what, like some deadline had passed um, without them, you know, taking care of it. And the, you know, the GM that he had been with, you know, had left. And so it just, it, it wasn't expected that he would be leaving Tampa and it seemed like much more of a, a natural fit in that scenario for the, the Cubs to pursue him. And so it was more like you knew that was a possibility, but the fact that they went after it, you know, was was the, the big shocker. With this one, there was a lot more prelude throughout the season as council wasn't getting extended and they, you know, they had kind of passed a whatever deadline they had imposed with each other of not not getting an extension done. So it couldn't have been nearly as much of a shock that he wasn't returning to Milwaukee because if it, if it really was going to happen, it yeah, he would have decided the extension, extension would have happened before. Yeah. It, it just, it didn't, it wouldn't have made sense for him to come for it all just to be some kind of leverage pull. I mean, he's not Harbaugh. So that was less of a surprise, but the cub availability was shocking. Like uh, I am definitely for it, but, it caught me completely off guard. And, you know, I think it probably caught a lot of Cubs players off guard and definitely uh, David Ross. But that was the, the bombshell to end all bombshells as far as uh, managerial stories. I do believe uh, David Ross will eventually land on his feet, but it's kind of sucky for him because he technically didn't do anything wrong. He just 
is not Craig Council, kind of like how Rick Renteria wasn't Joe Madden. So as just a victim of circumstance in this case. It sounds like he's already in the mix for the Padres job from what I saw just before we uh, signed on here. So that'd be cool for him. I, I, I got nothing against David Ross. I hope he gets another job. I think he'll definitely get another job. I mean, I, I think he's shown enough with the Cubs the last few years that that he can that he can manage. And um and you know you see a lot of these guys that in their first job they you know they do all right and then and then after that in their second job they um you know they go right they they go to the to the playoffs and World Series and things. And so I, I think he'll probably take what he's learned with the Cubs and, you know, add a few th- things into his toolbox, like perhaps better lineup management and a few other things, and then and he'll be fine. You know, I think the other thing that's that's actually, you know, it, it's kind of weird and in, in, in you have to sort of think, wow, you know, the Cubs moved on from a manager who's really good to get Craig Council, which, of course, they did with Madden. But um, in, in some ways, it looks like, you always have to be kind of, you know, have eyes in the back of your head or something. But um, it feels like considering the decision they made that they handled it pretty well. Jed and Theo are both known for running a real professional front office that showed respect for the players and their personnel. And it, and it feels like they've been able to do this in the same way. So um, so hopefully there's not some, you know, other fallout like, oh, you guys just basically shivved Ross just because you wanted a shiny new toy. This is not quite like that. Yeah, I think the way that it was handled at the end of the season, you know, when they went through their post-mortem press conference and Ross getting a vote of confidence, you could look at that as like some kind how duplicitous or, you know, negatively. But I choose to see it more as, like it really left him in a prime position to get a good coaching job somewhere else if he wants it, because it sets him in the light of the team was happy with him. And he did take this team that was 10 games below 500, you know, approaching the trade deadline and brought them to the cusp of the playoffs, even though they fell short at the end. And, and I think it, the, the the way that they gave the vote of confidence and then if you do look at it as him slightly getting screwed over you know where it just the job gets pulled out from under his feet suddenly he seems like this prize that other teams can claim now instead of the guy they rejected after the Cubs didn't make the playoffs so I think the attention that is on Ross right now is generally really positive and favorable in a way that would not have been true if they had fired him at the end of the year and said, yeah, we're going to hire somebody else. I was saying what, one thing that kind of struck me at first when uh, the news came out, is like, oh, I wonder how the clubhouse could react since, uh, you know, he knows them all so well. But uh, Kyle Hendricks is the only guy who's left in the World Series team who actually played with him. So maybe my first, rea- my first reaction there is, like, oh, well, maybe it won't be quite as, I mean, you know, the manager knows all these guys, but maybe it won't be quite as uh, jarring as at least my initial thought is that it might be. Might be hard to bring Pedro Strope back again, though. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if only, if only they yeah, could I, do it one I more think time. I did, did see Adbert's Algoli tweets, and he, he just had like the double eyeball emoji. Yeah. So at, at the very least, he's like, this was surprising and interesting. So uh, I haven't seen anybody else react, but I'm sure we'll see something by the time the Cubs can roll around at the very latest. You know, somebody's going to have to address it. I'm pretty sure they'll do like a like a intro, intro conference sometime soon. You know, they said in the announcement it would be next week. Like they would welcome him to Wrigley next week. So... Um, I'm glad one of us can read, but <laughs> it, it was it, it it got cut off in some of the images I saw with uh, the Cubs statement or with Hoyer's statement about it. So I had to search for another image to find full text uh, there at the end. It was just kind of this afterthought. So, yeah, it was they, they definitely put most of the attention on Ross and trying to give him his flowers for the work that he had done with the the Cubs, which. I, I do think it's significant. I do think you learn more 
when you get that change of scenery and you can kind of take some distance and see, all right, what were the, what were the things I did wrong? What were the, the things I did right? And you have that extra data point of you're not Craig Council good yet <laughs> to, to put in your mind and, and move forward with. I do think he's somebody who, who could get better. And I think for the right team, he could be exactly what they need. Um, regardless of however I might have disagreed with Ross, uh, I definitely agree with you guys that I like him. I want to see him succeed. Uh, I don't mind that it's with somebody else. Yeah, that's pretty fair. I think uh, one thing that jumps into my mind is Craig Council's really, really fortuitous record in one-run games. I almost feel like that isn't pure luck. There's something that he brings that is recognized by a lot of front offices, which is why so many, including Cleveland, the Brewers, and the Mets, competed for his services. So it's not like we're just making up his credentials out of the blue. It's widely recognized. So I, I think at, at the very least, it's an upgrade. If you took our one-run record from 2023, you swapped it with the Brewers' one-run <laughs> record, the Cubs are the division champions. The Cubs probably have a bye. Uh, I might not not be able to stretch it that far because you know the Dodgers and Atlanta were really good, but they they would have been in a much better position. So I, I think that was part of the emphasis. The other being that I think Craig Council just doesn't like to bunt, and I know that pisses a lot of people off. So yay! I love that quote you pulled <laughs> from uh, Prince Fielder. Cato Kalen's going to be thrilled though, right? I, I love that Cato is part of this like the immediate reaction to this story is definitely something I'm thinking about. I haven't seen what that reaction is, but uh, yeah, he just ripped into him at every, every turn, every time that they lose in the playoffs, which, you know, is every time, but yeah, that, that dude, it is just so funny that he got famous and yeah, back to the one run game thing. It's hard to, to say how much of his, is attributable to, to council um, because so much of his tenure has coincided with the Brewers having just an outstanding end of the bullpen. They've basically had their eighth and ninth innings locked down for 99% of the, the games they operate with the lead. But then again, you know, that could just be something that he, you could attribute to him having an, an understanding of who belongs at the back end of the bullpen. Definitely has has been a strength of his teams for quite a while. Yeah, that's what that's I was describing with too. Is is the you know it's just to be devil's advocate. Is is Craig Council good? Like I don't necessarily know. I mean he has been a manager, longest tenured manager, you know. So I guess uh, he hasn't been bad enough to be fired over over that time. With, with pretty much any manager, like if if you're not watching the team on a day to day basis. Like, I, I don't think any Brewers fans care about, like, you know, David Ross's, like, roster management or or any of those things. I don't I don't know. Like, it seems like only in the last year that people were like, oh, hey, Craig Council will be available. He's, he's the best manager. And I was like, is he? <laughs> but he's not terrible. I don't know. But it's, it's just hard to quantify how good managers are to begin with. I did check Cato's uh, Twitter. I think he's actually kind of ambivalent at I feel like he's almost celebrating because Council famously has the issue with the playoffs. Like he hasn't won consistently with Milwaukee, right? So that that's basically what Kato Kalen is harping on right now. The other thing I was thinking of is that uh, with basically David Ross is gone, that means there's going to be a change at the top of the coaching staff, and therefore turnover within the rest of the coaching staff so i feel like a few guys are about to exit the organization and you'll see some new guys come in and we'll, we'll see whether like craig council can poach like somebody who can talk to the catchers or talk to the pitchers a little better or if he's absorbed enough information from his coaches to implement something like that for us uh, that would be really nice yeah, and you can you you can take the the postseason record one of two ways, right? You could say he he doesn't have the managerial chops to 
succeed in the postseason and his record proves that. Or you could say this is due to has brought teams who really had no business being in the postseason to the postseason with great frequency. And just imagine what happens if you give him more than just three good starters. I will be interested to to see that, but it, it definitely seems like, and this is another question I'm sure we can talk about now or later is, is this a sign that the Cubs are going to do more or, you know, is this the prelude to a huge birthday hall or huge Christmas present hall, or is this the big present? You know, I, tend to think uh, with what I'm hearing from most people is that there's a belief this is the sign that the Cubs are, you know, opening up the wall and they're going to get, you know, all kinds of other great uh, free agent and trade acquisitions. But, you know, I kind of wonder if they just also might say we're a good manager and a couple other tiny moves away from being a great team. And the pessimist in me still believes that could happen. Yeah, I I would mirror that uh, cynicism because that that's probably what some some people would think, and I think they'd be justified in doing so given how the Cubs operated over the past few seasons before they splurged on Dansby Swanson. Right. The other way to look at it is they just blew forty million dollars on a manager. I don't think you do that unless there are moves in place. To show said manager who would, who who is good enough to command that level of income, that you're building a winner for him, and that's beyond the core that we know is in place. Like whether or not it contains a book Cody Bellinger, there's still a bunch of players there for the next two or three seasons together. You know, maybe even more. So there had to be some kind of convincing, some kind of like. John Lester style VHS tape. I, I guess it was DVD by then because VHS was an obsolete, but you know what I'm saying? Like they, they had to give him the whole spiel and really convince him that Chicago was the place for him because he could have picked anywhere that needed a manager and he picked this one. So I feel like if we're being optimistic, given that Marcus Stroman has opted out and I know Adam and Skip, you guys were a lot more shocked than I, I was, but uh, yeah. That's twenty mil- million dollars more that they get to spend. Cody Bellinger just got the Q- QO, so whether or not he comes back uh, is a mystery. But I feel like now that's twenty million dollars more that they can to convince him to come back to at least stabilize the offense, or another twenty million dollars to like pay Juan Soto's uh, arbitration contract, or another twenty million dollars to sign a Shohei Otani, or the, one of the Japanese pitchers that are about to be posted. There is money. They just need to spend it now. And I feel like hiring that level of manager gives them the the momentum that they need to recruit those people into the fold. You know, Ken, I, I think that's a good point that um, to me, the, 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 the signal in there, although I, I sort of share some of Adam's cynicism, like, OK, I'll believe it when I see it. But but the um, the point you made about they wouldn't. Council wouldn't have come to the Cubs if they weren't dedicated in, uh, you know, to spending more and building this team and making it better. And and even though all of those, that 40 million they're they're paying council, none of that goes to the competitive balance tax, right? So so in some ways that's all just free money to spend. You you know, council's not going to come if he doesn't think that Jed and Ricketts is are um, are dedicated to um, you know to building this team more. I just I just just don't see why he would move this direction when you know he could have gone to other places that are just as dedicated to um, that could be just as dedicated to building a building up a team. So and you know I mean now that Milwaukee is tearing down their team right um, and and losing all their guys maybe we'll get Christian Yelich too huh? I don't know I don't know if I would watch Christian Yelich. He had his first good season in like How five dare years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just here to throw out bombs tonight. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean you, you saw my thing. Let's just trade PCA for you, Darvish, and fix the uh, fix the mistake we made three years ago. <laughs> right. Right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep grinding that axe. <laughs> yeah. Well, they might as well throw one soda in there, too, I guess. Yeah, yeah that'd be all right. Sure. You'd be good throwing. <laughs> 
The other uh, option I, is, uh, you know, Woodruff is most likely going to be non-tendered because of his shoulder injury. So if that's the case, would it be possible to bring him in on a rehab deal? And then that's another starter along with Shohei Otani going into 2025. That this is like real eye in the sky kind of fantasy <laughs> play on my part. But yeah, shifting a Justin Steele to a number three starter behind like Woodruff and Otani, that's like, yeah, it's definitely a dream, but it could happen, right? Yeah, yeah, in 2025, I, I think that might be the first year that either of those guys are able to pitch, if I'm remembering right, or projecting yeah, right. Yeah, show out of pitching for 2024, but he can still swing a bat, so yeah, uh, that's part of it. I was just going to gonna say, going back to, is Council a good manager? It's something I'm... I am trying to keep in mind is they went hard after him when they didn't really see themselves as being in need of a manager. And Jed has not proven to be the type to over pursue someone that, that doesn't make like good financial sense. Granted. Yeah. It doesn't count, you know, against the tax and everything else, but it's still, it's a big risk to go within the division, shake things up, uh, potentially burn some bridges of, uh, you know, last vestiges of, of uh, sentimental connection to the team on the field or in the dugout. And, you know, that 2016 World Series championship, which a lot of people forget happened. If this front office went for it on council, I have to believe they have a really good reason of believing he's a good manager that it's not just the popular pick uh you know the manager du jour but that he's the guy that specifically they they wanted and wanted to make the highest paid manager in the history of baseball in terms of you know his annual salary so that is comforting that i can at least put faith in the idea that they know what they're doing or they have a good reason for doing what they're doing and that they probably, you know, like like some of the positives have said, that they are going to give him something to work with and that they they probably aren't done. You know, the way I broke down things last year going into the season, that you pretty much have the teams who are going for it, the teams who hope they might win, and the teams who are just, you know, bobbing for draft picks. This is a going for it move, no question. And I don't I I don't think there's anybody in baseball who now has any question about what the Cubs intentions are starting in 2024. They are going for it. Yeah. I mean, the, the money certainly helps, but I don't know if council would have signed this deal. If it was just, if the Cubs were just going to stay pat with what they had and see if they could get more out of a, out of another manager, at least, at least I hope so. I don't know. Well, well you could have leveraged the contract that they offered him to anybody he really wanted to go to, uh, you would think the Mets would pay for it if it came if it came down. Yeah, I hear they have some money, the Mets. They're had, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Do they invest at FTX? Oh, dang. <laughs> I feel like the Cubs don't have uh, Cohen levels of money, but they have some kind of supernatural ability to convince e-personnel to come to the team at the right times so like even if they don't have like the absolute best possible contract in terms of money they might have the best possible situation with uh, both the farm and the major league core as it is developing at at this time like there's probably money coming in because the new sports book is about uh it should have opened and now this coming year, it will open. They're going to do a new roof. They're actually trying to recruit the All-Star Games at Wrigley Field again uh, within the next couple of years. So there's money coming in that can pay for all this. And there's money coming off the books starting in 2025. So it's like there, there's kind of a perfect storm of awesomeness happening for the Cubs. That's it's okay to go for it. It's okay to jump the luxury tax for a year or two. 
because some of that money is going to just go away uh, in a year or so. The the other thing that uh, that I think is worth remembering is that you know there was a lot of talk about how council kind of wanted to stay in Milwaukee because of his family and he's got a son that plays at the University of Michigan I think and maybe his other one's a senior or something but you know moving to Chicago puts him a couple hours closer to Ann Arbor and uh, and doesn't actually put him that far away from home so. Um, it, you know, there's there's a, a bit of a personal angle. Who knows how important that really is? But it, it does sort of seem like, wow, you know, if if, if you're going to move, this is kind of the perfect situation. Yeah, I was going to say, too, with respect to uh, Cubs money, that uh, at least they're, they're finally done with their long renovation of Wrigley Field. So then you just reminded me that they're redoing the roof now. So <laughs> I guess they still have uh, uh, field-related expenses to uh, the point, too. Yeah, but something tells me financially this must make sense. And I don't just mean the council deal. I mean actually making a strong postseason slash World Series push to really go for a, a serious run at a championship that the numbers are lining up for them. They must be in terms of how they're able to use that space, what the the market indicators are for them that – they'll be heading toward a similar payoff to what they got in 2016. I think you're probably hearing from Crane Kenny that, yeah, if the iron's hot right now and if we strike, we will, and by we, I mean the Ricketts family, be reaping the dividends of really strong financial windfall. Uh, that's you know the cynical side of me just saying, I think they make this move because it, is on their radar that it's going to pay off for them if the Cubs win. You know, they're going to haul in a, a big return on the investment that they're making in this team right now. That makes sense to me. I think uh, right now the math suggests they have about $100 million of cap space. And I hate saying cap space because, you know, unfortunately the luxury tax is a salary cap, but that's basically what it is. They have $100 million to spend this offseason. They probably have more uh, to spend coming next offseason. So they they have all this money that they can potentially use to shore up this team. But at the same time, you really don't want them to go full Padres or full Mets, at least not like last couple of years, where they, they couldn't do anything with all that money that they spent. So I, I think there's enough trust in this front office that we we think they they should be able to make the right moves. Yeah, we can re-explore this uh, coming up after DGM meetings and after the awards. But uh, yeah, it's a really good time to be a Cubs fan, even though we didn't get to see them win the World Series and didn't even see them go to the playoffs. But it's feeling a little closer for me. And, and they're already winning the off season. <laughs> All of a sudden, <laughs> uh, they, they've get, they've got a, a, a half a lap lead on the competition, and you're seeing them mentioned in uh, rumors to be in on Otani, the primary mention in you know Soto trade deals. Even though the Padres have tried to poo-poo the fact that they're even uh, shopping. Uh, Soto, uh, just there. Uh, frankly, there are too many positive indicators for me to even really think that what I'm seeing going on is actually going on. I do think I'm, I very well may be hallucinating, which is fine. It won't be the first time. Yeah, let's get start, get us started with uh, how do you guys actually like the World Series? I guess we can also talk about the postseason leading up to the World Series. Like, you know, there were two seven-game series and championship series. Uh, very exciting, but uh, the World Series ended up five games, and it was uh, relatively lopsided. So what are your impressions, Jensen? I watched, I guess I watched all the World Series games, and they were... Um way less ex exciting than the league championships, but sometimes it happens that way. You know, it's, it's pretty cool, though, when you've got a, a franchise that hasn't won it in, you know, its entire existence of 
61 or two years, whatever it is, against another one that hasn't been there for 20-some years. So it was it was nice to see a new cast of characters. I thought the National League Championship Series was pretty amazing with Arizona keeping coming back, which is kind of what they did to the Cubs at the end of the year, too. So, you know, it was sort of the same M.O. Um, I wasn't happy when they were doing it to the Cubs, but I was perfectly happy when they were doing it against the Phillies. So pretty good. And and the fact that, you know, Houston got um, eliminated by their in-state rival, I'm pretty happy with that, too. So all in all, not bad, at least on my side. Yeah, it, it wasn't like the storybook postseason uh, by any means. Obviously, the Cubs weren't in it, so <laughs> I wasn't going to like the story that much regardless. But game one of the World Series was awesome. It, it kind of set the table like, oh, this is this is going to be just an outstanding back and forth series. But then Arizona got there one game, the next game, and then it, it didn't really go back and forth beyond that. It just Texas kind of did the thing that they did the whole the whole postseason i did think it was really fascinating that they won every road game and that the the team names of all the teams they beat in the playoffs the rays starting with r and the orioles starting with o and the astros starting with a and the d-backs starting with d spelled out road and they won (laughs) every road game that was pretty crazy but yeah by the time it ended, I was glad it was over. Yeah, because by the time it ended, basically, you get five days until free agency starts. So free agency basically started two days, two or three days earlier than it otherwise would have. So yay us, right? Uh, one of the things that I was very kind of miffed about, I, I don't know if this is sour grapes or if it's a security issue, but they didn't allow the uh, Rangers to celebrate in the pool. I think there was like literally a line of security uh, in the outfield where the pool was. So after the, the, the dog pile, there was no way to get past them. Uh, otherwise, I guess they would have all jumped through the pool, which I guess is also kind of cliche. But at the same time, you know, you just won the World Series. Wade Boggs, climb on a horse, you know. But yeah, it was uh, really cool to have basically a bunch of relatively likable people uh, win a ball game. And the other interesting thing is that the Rangers over the past couple of seasons have splurged out the wazoo for this team. And I don't think they necessarily care. Like Arlington slash Dallas slash Fort Worth is a really big metro area. They have a huge market and the owner is obviously really rich. So they just got themselves their first World Series ever. I don't think they care. When you think about Texas being big, you know, the Dallas area is the the prototype for big D, big Texas, big hat, big everything. And they went big and their their biggest contract this offseason, it would have been DeGrom, right? As far as annual value. And he ended up not really figuring into it. And then Scherzer was barely a factor in the postseason, too. So. Uh, but they had enough hits on the the pieces they acquired, and it all came together at the right time. It's an interesting contrast between the Mets, who spent big, and the Rangers, who spent big, right? So uh, the, the Rangers spent on DeGrom. They traded for, for Scherzer, but their other big money was Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon. And I guess Simeon didn't have the greatest World Series, but he was he was good in the playoffs up to that, as I recall. And Corey Seager, of course, was amazing. They did trade uh, for Rodas Chapman, and Chapman was kind of trash all all year, and he actually like managed to not be trash for the few innings that he was in during the World Series. It's interesting, like he can throw up to 103 miles an hour. He just has no idea where it's going, and sometimes it gets hit really really far. <laughs> Yeah, it's. It, it, I guess it's probably true what they say when you lose a little bit of the strength. You, your velocity doesn't necessarily go first. It's your command. So I wonder if that's just what is is missing. If he doesn't have the hand strength, you know, to fine tune what it is he's he's doing, because obviously he can still fire it up there. Or it could just be karma. Who knows? Is it Adolis Garcia? Was that the no, that was a couple of years ago because yeah. he was let go or he was traded for cash consideration. 
fishing right. by from the Cardinals. And then uh, like he so that basically was, came that out was of nowhere. Fun. So you can't really blame the Cardinals for that, but it's so funny, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah, it was like uh, Patrick Wisdom on steroids, but not steroids. I'm not accusing anybody of steroids, but that effect. <laughs> well, they traded midseason for Jordan Montgomery, right? And then um, Mitch Garver might have been who yes. I was thinking of. Yep. Yeah, Garver was an off-season one, I think, because he he's been on the Rangers all year. The interesting thing is, like, they they actually had to cobble together so many bullpen games throughout the postseason. It, it's kind of like what I think we talked about even before uh, this podcast. Like, basically, you have two different types of teams. You need the team that gets through 162 and gets you in the postseason, and then you need a team to survive the postseason. And like, I I think this is gonna change not next season, but probably the year after. Like, there's gonna have to revamp the way they think about pitching in the uh, rotation and how to do bullpen usage because like this year the 26 man roster you limit yourself to 13 pitchers but Rob Manfred basically said something about how you know even for us as diehard baseball fans we're just like we're changing pitchers again we're using an opener in the freaking world series are you serious so I think they're gonna jump bump that down to 12 pitchers which basically gives you five starters and seven relievers. And again, with the way they're limiting the number of times you can option a guy, the way they increase the uh, injured list to 15 days for pitchers, it's harder and harder to kind of shuttle the guys back and forth uh, effectively like they used to when, you know, even before the three batter minimum, you can basically say, hey, you you get one guy and then we'll get someone else to pitch the next guy. You know, you, you can't do that anymore. So I think they're going to try to get back to the old days where a starter goes seven, eight, nine. You know, that's probably going to be an adventure. But for this postseason, I was just looking at the way that's, you know, some of the guys are a little older. The ground's kind of broken. Uh, Scherzer is obviously a little older, has lost some velocity, and he had his injury that got bumped him out of the World Series before Game 5. It's like a whole lot of holes in the rotation that I think they're going to have to patch up, and it's very hard for them to repeat, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, I don't even... Um... I don't even think the Rangers are going to be like statistically favored to to repeat. It's just I hate to say they got lucky, but th- their offense was really churning on all cylinders throughout the postseason. I think that's it was what I always remember, you know, back in the days Juan Gon and um Irod Rangers who just would put up 10 runs a game it seemed like and then when they get to the postseason they would shut down uh, and not not get very far it was like that except they just kept scoring runs I think that was one of the reasons they succeeded on the road so much is that they just had that offensive firepower that it didn't really matter who was who was pitching you just couldn't outscore them and they would come out first inning. It seemed like they were scoring a touchdown every, every, every time a game opened. I don't think teams can keep up with that. If your pitcher does reasonably well and your defense isn't trash, when you're able to score runs um, with impunity, you're going to win a lot of games and, and they just didn't run into anybody who was so dominant that they could shut that lineup down. Okay, so I did look up the odds for you, Adam, and I think like part part of what we talked about last time we had you you on is just how hard it is to plow through the postseason to generate momentum after slogging through 162, and it is basically a matter of who gets hot. But you also need to get there to have the chance to get hot. When I looked at the odds, the Atlanta Braves, this is from ESPN's uh, betting article uh, from a couple of days ago. So they said the Braves are 13 to 2 odds to win next year's World Series. Uh, LA Dodgers are 7 and 1 behind them. And then it's Houston and Texas both at 9, 9 to 1. Uh, when I'm scrolling down, the Cubs are actually the uh, top team in the NL Central at 30 to 1 odds. So maybe it's a good year to put some money on the Cubbies. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's, they, they are like 
10, 11 teams down on the list behind even, you know, the Arizona Dynamax, who I think were lucky to get in there, but they also played obscenely well over the, the last stretch to get a chance to play in in the World Series. So the way I think about it is Texas was leading the AL West for a very long time before Houston uh, caught them at the very end. They, they, I think, had tied records, but the Rangers just lost the head-to-head. So it's not like they were a terrible team. They just lost the tiebreaker, and they were the wild card. But they were also like one win away from getting the bye. And then who knows if they w- would have been the ones to get bounced off in, in that bye round. But uh, I don't know. It, it's just a lot of speculation on my part. I think once you get in, as Arizona proved, like you can go quite a long way. It's just a matter of scoring more than the other team. <laughs> That's really the trick, right? Well, and Philadelphia proved that last year, too. And, uh, I mean, one thing that Texas does have going for it is a lot of their offense stays the same between this year and next. And so, um, and they had a pretty good offense. So, and then I I suppose if DeGrom gets healthy and Perez comes back, uh, I think he's the guy, right? And, uh, you know, they're going to lose my, Jordan Montgomery and Scherzer. They can spend money on other pitchers. Yeah, they're definitely in line to to compete with with everybody else. In that division, it seems like Houston is always a threat to dominate. They just seem to be really good at manufacturing a good lineup, good rotation, developing good young talent. They're just stacked, and they seem to know what they're doing. So. I don't know that uh, Houston is going away anytime soon. So that that's kind of the the biggest threat to the the Rangers' continued success is the fact that Houston is in full on dynasty mode and they're doing a good job of it. Do you guys remember how long Bochi was signed for? Bruce Bochi, like at this point, like they have to kind of vote him into the Hall of Fame, right? Like, do managers have that five year period, or can they just like decide to vote him in uh, next year because he's not on a ballot at this time, but I assume that they can just throw him on one next December, even if he's still actively managing. Yeah. I don't know exactly how it works, but like, I think, I mean, Tony LaRusso was already in the hall of fame. He, he said as much when he got <laughs> pulled over for his DUI two days after being announced as the White Sox managers. <laughs> I'm a big deal. I'm a Hall of Fame uh, deal in baseball. So I, I think he's eligible and he definitely meets the criteria. Goodness, he could, I mean, he could die and probably still lead a, a team to the World Series. Uh, <laughs> that dude, it, it's, you know, say what you want about in-game management and, you know, the statistical understanding of the game, but I think guys like like him and like Dusty Baker just have a way of keeping their team ready to play. I I, I think it really sunk home uh, for me this year, realizing just how young baseball players are and how much life slash baseball wisdom is like beyond the, the statistical end of it, just from the human perspective Guys like that who've been around, you know, Bochi is, I mean, he's he's seen it all. He he understands what it takes to just continually be at your best, uh, even when you might not be at your best, you know, to, to still uh, have a good attitude, you know, be good teammates, have a clear head, get the most out of your players, even when you don't have necessarily the best players, there's just, there has to be a certain uh, management style personality knack for dealing with people that really to, to have that much of a generational gap between these kids playing baseball and these, you know, guys who are very, very much old enough to be their grandparents calling the shots in the dugout. It's it's pretty cool to see and just realize, yeah, I mean, you don't just keep getting back to the World Series just by luck. You know, 
Bochi obviously has it. I don't think you can get any better as a manager just in those aspects of the game. It's leading your team and getting the most out of them as what he's been able to do. Just crazy. I mean, what legacy he'll go down with. So I, I looked up the rules real quick. Managers and umpires to be eligible for the Hall of Fame have to be retired at, for at least five years unless they're older than 65 years old. And then they're eligible six months following retirement. So Dusty is uh, eligible next year or whenever the next voting comes around that includes managers. And Boshi, I think he's over 65 too, right? So he would be um, if he is, or he would be shortly afterward. And he's signed through 2025. So he's there for another couple seasons. And then I think the 2026 ballot is when he would be first eligible. Here okay. you're right about Dusty. Like, uh, and Terry Francona, too, just retired. So he would probably be mixed ballot unless he was uh, on the hop ballots. And I just completely missed it, but I don't think I did because he went directly from the Red Sox to the Cleveland organization, right? So he hasn't been retired long enough. Right. But yeah, like with, with those guys, you know, the old guard is going away. They're retiring. I don't think anybody's interested in hiring a Joe Madden. Dusty's had enough. Uh, Terry Francona's basically said he's had enough. Yeah, you guys like that? Uh, <laughs> Dan's B. Swanson and Nico Horner won the gold glove. That was expected. Ian Hepp, not so much, but I think he had so many... Uh, outfield assist from left field and left field is kind of weaker uh, of MLB that it, it just kind of made sense. Sure, why not just give it to the guy who just won, even though he didn't look as good, but he did make some really good plays. I think like Adam and I were talking about it before we started hitting record. It's just that there are some where where he took a bad route or he like completely whiffed on a, on a catch or something or uh, overran a ball and those are the ones that fans just gravitate to. Like, they need a scapegoat. They need to be angry at something. But for the most part, he did okay. And maybe that was enough. Well, there was that one game that he practically single-handedly won uh, late in the game by throwing people out at the plate. forget who the opponent was at that point. But not only was it exciting, but he was dead on on his throws every both times. Yeah, I want to say that was Milwaukee, even if it wasn't. Like, I, I like the idea of it being Milwaukee. The nice thing about the the gold gloves, especially for Nico with it being his first time, is it's a good reminder, A, we have confirmation outside of just our Cubs bubble that Nico Horner's a really good second baseman um, and that the middle of the infield was outstanding. But also, B, a reminder that it was fun watching the Cubs for a, a good portion of the year. Um, we get, especially in October, obviously uh, you get wrapped up in what the postseason is going to be. And can we get another world series and will we be resetting uh, the Emus Catuli sign? But baseball is a long season and it is enjoyable in the moment. There is value to the regular season in just that, Every day you get to see a baseball game and the Cubs were pretty fun to watch for most of the summer, largely because they played outstanding defense and seeing that theory, that uh, team philosophy of defense first, uh, run prevention first, <laughs> at least in, in theory, seeing the, seeing it play out in defense and just seeing really, really good shortstop and second base play you know, at a level that, you know, you don't really get to see very often. I mean, it was like old school Detroit Tigers uh, defense, and it was fun to watch. Like, regardless of how the season ended, the bulk of the season was really enjoyable because the defense was so good. And Dansby and Nico and Hap and Bellinger, even though, you know, so such a big chunk of his season was robbed from us by the Houston outfield wall. It was a, a really fun watch 
the Cubs defense almost all season long. If it had lasted a little bit longer, maybe the postseason would have been a reality. But it was it was really enjoyable. And baseball is about more than just the championships. It's every day throughout the summer uh, watching good baseball and, and having a good time doing it. And we do have Dansby and Nico to, to thank for uh, making it a unique and uniquely fun season to be a Cubs fan surprisingly so well not only that but it's something that jed and the other guys can use for trying to attract good free agent pitchers right so you want a good defense up the middle and although haps not up the middle you know we had good defense pretty good defense in center field too and in alcantara and in pca if they're the center field platoon uh platoon next year and instead of cody then um, you know that's a good that's that's good defense out in center too. And Talkman looked pretty good too. Not sure what's happening with him next year, but you know it's 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 nice to have those guys in place so that you can you can say to your free agent pitcher, look, you know what, you'll do better with us because our defense is better than somebody else. Yeah, it's a great message for a free agent pitcher slash DH, um, even if the pitcher is you know, recovering from surgery and maybe is only going to DH for a little while. I think, I think if I were, you know, named say Shohei Otani, that would be reason enough for me to come. I think over the last, Last couple of days, we've seen three Cubs win the Gold Glove. We've seen Cody Bellinger basically be voted Comeback Player of the Year. Justin Steele, unfortunately, didn't get into the Cy Young finalist, but he had a good year. You know, there, there's a lot of really cool things. And you can also say that the new Cubs manager is just became a finalist in the Manager of the Year Award. So, yay, Cubs. It's a great time to join this bandwagon and for the players who are very good at hitting and throwing baseballs to also join the bandwagon. I do think that's a, a legitimate component in negotiations is any free agent, um, anybody coming in from the outside, they have to to look at the Cubs as in addition to everybody who ever plays for the Cubs saying you got to play for the Cubs at least once in your career. The All of these signs of like, yeah, yeah, these guys are paying right now, and they're obviously making moves to show they're serious about winning. Uh, why am I letting myself get carried away like this? <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, you, you were the one who had the highest win prediction in the in the preseason, so it's on brand. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I'm only I'm only a, a poser uh, cynic. <laughs> I can't hide my true uh, eternally springing hope. You are the resident optimist, Adam. <laughs> I mean, I was practically uh, making out with Nick Madrigal by the end of the year, so I can't argue with you today. <laughs> there is a possibility that Nick Madrigal is our very defensively minded third baseman on opening days to accommodate like, you know, Soto and Otani and everybody else. So it's not the end of the world if that's the case. And he's just batting ninth. And hopefully he won't button anymore because Craig Council will be charged. <laughs> I think Council's going to teach him a new batting stance to hold his bat really high to make himself look bigger, you know, the way the Council always did. I have no idea how that works for him. That, that looks painful to watch. <laughs> but it, it works. You know, he, he played uh, for two World Series teams and for over 10 years. So obviously something's working for him. He was like the lost character from Street Fighter 2. It just, <laughs> it just <laughs> seemed like this crazy cartoonish pose. But it, it sure is fun to imitate if you don't have a bad back. All right, so uh, 
the the rest of this, you'll hear some stuff we did uh, on Sunday night before the world went to hell and uh, Craig Council became our, the Cubs manager. But uh, yeah, thanks guys for hopping on to this emergency thing. I got some stuff to splice together and hopefully it will be entertaining for everybody until we come back again after the GM meetings and the awards are announced and we have more of a picture of who's actually available in trade and you know numbers of what people are willing to sign for or at least have been leaked or leaked to Bob Nightingale right you know those uh internet memes about that was then and this is now kind of thing you could do yesterday and today (laughs) for sure (laughs) something something tells me you're going to be able to tell the 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 complete contrast in energy levels between last night <laughs> when it was oh it's really good they want to go gloves and tonight like yes! <laughs> I can't I can't wait to hear how it plays out yeah yeah I, I'm gonna have some fun with this one but yeah thanks guys again for showing up uh, you can find us of course at obstructiveview.net uh, we are on any social media platform that is willing to host us and has not been like sucked into hell yet uh you can thank rich diana for a theme song randall sanders for pulling the final outcome from the 2016 world series so here's to the 2024 world series champion cubs guys Go cubs can't wait i'm buying the champagne now world series bound more than just a game But they also made that trade for um, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., and and he was pretty good in the postseason and, and all year long. He's a free agent that, um, you know, maybe maybe he comes to the Cubs. Um, we'll get to that later, I guess. But, uh, you know, they made – I thought that was a good trade. Or it, I mean, I didn't know oh, what I thought about back, it before. It? But, the Diamondbacks. Ah, uh, yeah, that was the Diamondbacks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Who, who, who did right. they get? Who, who did? It was more than just a game.